0: A song, take
1: eight. Answering the difficult and critical questions youth may face that relate to Mormon culture and teachings, this is the Rise Up Podcast, produced by Fair Mormon. In this episode, I, Nick Galletti, I'm going to share with you thoughts that I titled Putting Grease on the Iron Rod. I'm going to let you figure out what that means. The prophets teach the importance of keeping the commandments and following the example set by Jesus Christ. These same prophets teach the importance of following the Spirit as our guide and doing just that. Then I read stories like the one in 1 Nephi, where Nephi is commanded to kill King Laban, clearly a directive that's not in line with the commandments as he understood them and even as we understand them. Now, this is a challenging question, a challenging story that some have applied in contexts that may or may not apply to the story of King Laban or its principles. Some have sought to use the example in 1 Nephi as evidence that we should be more open to the exceptions that there are to the Lord's rules. Meaning, if Nephi can kill someone, then maybe the Lord is okay if I do fill in the blank. I recently came across a conversation, and I'll put conversation in air quotes because it happened on Facebook. But the question was asked, is it wrong for a Latter-day Saint to buy someone a cup of coffee? Now, some were saying that there was nothing wrong with this because not drinking coffee is my covenant choice, and that may not be the case with others. While others said something along the lines that it was not something another may have chosen, while it may not be their covenant choice, our covenants don't include promotion or supporting of practices that are contrary to the laws of God for others. In the course of the debate, the story of King Laban and First Nephi was used to make the point that we should be more open to God inspiring us to things such as to buy a cup of coffee for someone, just as Nephi was open to the Lord inspiring him to kill Laban. Now, the whole conversation made for an interesting debate, to say the least, but the use of that story gave me the greatest pause. Was Nephi's telling of that story meant to give license for us to find ways to not keep the commandments, uh, even generally? There are other times where, most often referred to by others in the Old Testament, where inspired individuals have been asked to do things that seem to have some kind of cognitive dissonance attached to it, where it seems hard to make sense of the contradiction at first. Like, why would Abraham be asked to kill his son? Those sorts of stories are not always easy to understand. And to be honest, sometimes those things may take years to understand. But until that time comes through, we might be able to do our best to re-examine these stories and see if we can find more understanding from them. That way, we don't base our life philosophies on incomplete scriptural understanding So, let's use first Nephi as the basis for our discussion here. First, let's read the story of Nephi and his confrontation with Laban. Nephi was given a commandment, a quest of sorts, by his prophet father to obtain the brass plates, the record of Lehi's genealogy, but also the history and teachings that made up the spiritual sources for their day. After presenting their earthly possessions to Laban in exchange for the plates, after What amounts to saying, pretty please, Laban, Nephi and his brothers' requests were rejected, and at one point their lives were threatened, leaving some of the brothers with a sense of failure and rejection. Now, those brothers, Laman and Lemuel, even attacked their brother Nephi as some expression of their anger and frustration with their situation and their failures, now, this is also the same instance where an angel comes to these brothers and admonishes them to continue in their quest and, and that Laban would be delivered into their hands. Now, that brings us to 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 1. If you want to read along, please do so. It's good to re-examine these scriptures from time to time to see if something else stands out to you. When in this conversation about the individual who wanted to be able to buy coffee for someone with some sense of approval from others, or at least the people on Facebook, this story was used to encourage people to use the Spirit to see if God wants us to buy coffee for someone using Nephi slaying Laban as the basis for such a decision. I asked myself, does this scripture work as justification for such an action? So first verse, and it came to pass that I spake unto my brethren saying, let's go up again unto Jerusalem and let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. For behold, he is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban and his 50, yea, or even than his tens of thousands? Now, this is a question we could often ask ourselves when faced with tasks from the Lord that seem difficult or that there's a lot of opposition to us accomplishing those things. For me, sometimes I see missionary work this way, or defending the church online. There's so much opposition, but so much that we've been encouraged to do. And when I start to see the challenge more than the commandment, I, can, I think this question that Nephi is asking, is the Lord not mightier than all the opposition, mightier than even death? I say, Yes. And then I realized that I shouldn't look so much at the challenge, but more the commandment. Now, continuing on. Therefore, let us go up. Let us be strong like unto Moses, for he truly spake unto the waters of the Red Sea. And they divided hither and thither. And our fathers came through out of captivity. On dry ground, and the armies of Pharaoh did follow and were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. Now behold, ye know that this is true, and ye also know that an angel has spoken unto you. Wherefore can ye doubt? Let us go up. The Lord is able to deliver us, even as our fathers, and to destroy Laban, even as the Egyptians. Nephi is a master at using the scriptures to give him strength and direction. The Spirit had guided him. Angels had guided him. But he still also drew strength from the scriptures, the story of Moses. One of the ways this is possible is that he studied them enough that they were on his mind. People that tend to play sports use a lot of sports metaphors when they teach. People who watch a lot of movies will reference a movie scene or a line in a movie because these are things that they're most familiar with. Nephi was familiar with. The scriptures with the story of of Moses. But he also recognizes that the miracles that happen to others can have application in his circumstances as well. In Nephi's culture in Jerusalem, in Israelite culture, Moses was a most important figure. But here is Nephi thinking, if the Lord can deliver Moses when given a task from the Lord, then the Lord can help me as well. And that kind of reminds me of Moroni chapter 7, where Moroni asks the questions, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased, because Christ hath ascended into heaven, and hath sat down on the right hand of God, to claim of the Father his rights of mercy, which he hath upon the children of men? For he hath answered the ends of the law." And he claimeth all those who have faith in him, and they who have faith in him will cleave unto every good thing. Wherefore, he advocateth the cause of the children of men, and he dwelleth eternally in the heavens. And because he hath done this, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased. Behold, I say unto you, nay, neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. Quote. So even Moroni... When compiling the record of the Book of Mormon, could look back on the entire record and see that from Moses to Nephi, even to his own day, miracles will continue. They may not be part of the parting of the Red Sea or killing an evil ruler, but they happen. Moroni puts this in a few verses later to further clarify. And Christ has said, If ye will have faith in me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me, end quote. Now, Nephi knew that. If we are to understand Nephi's next choices, we need to put ourselves in the same mindset, or we won't begin to understand the principles upon which the Lord was able to communicate with Nephi in the very hour it was needed. If Nephi didn't trust the Lord and in his ability to get the job done, Nephi probably wouldn't have gotten the job done either. So moving on, verse 4. Now when I had spoken these words, they were yet wroth, and did still continue to murmur. Nevertheless, they did follow me up until we came without the walls of Jerusalem. And it was by night, and I caused that they should hide themselves without the walls. And after they had hid themselves, I, Nephi, crept into the city and went forth towards the house of Laban. And I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth, and as I came near unto the house of Laban, I beheld a man. And he had fallen to the earth before me, for he was drunken with wine. And when I came to him, I found that it was Laban. Now, this is where some of our conversation on Facebook diverted a little bit. So pay close attention to the principles here. Laban was not sick. He was not perfectly fine. He was drunk, so much so that he had basically passed out in the street. Here he was in front of Nephi, prepared by the hand of the Lord. Now, verse 9, And I beheld his sword, and I drew it forth from the sheath thereof, and the hilt thereof was of pure gold, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. And I saw that the blade thereof was of the most precious steel." Now, I've read this passage a few times, but this time it made me wonder why, of all the things that a person could do upon finding a drunk person passed out in front of them, would Nephi grab the sword and kind of admire its workmanship? I mean, what, why record this as being a, an impressive weapon? I still don't have an answer on that, but I hope to be able to find that out in one of my studies at some point. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, verse 10, and it came to pass that I was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. But I said in my heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of a man. And I shrunk and would that I might not slay him. Now, constrained is an interesting word that I decided to look up. And to see why that was the word that was Chosen, perhaps. It seems interesting because in one definition of the word constrain, it's about limiting or restricting the extent or activity of something. To another definition, it's to compel or force someone forward a particular in, in, a, in a particular course of action. And to yet another definition, it's to cause to appear unnaturally forced, Uh, typically because of embarrassment that someone is constrained to do something. So if I was kind of to mix these definitions and perhaps see what meaning there is behind the word constrained in this case, it was that Nephi was being focused on a singular task. He was compelled beyond what his natural inclination would have been to then kill Laban which is understandable, and we'll actually talk about that more in just a second. Moving on to verse 11, though. And the Spirit said unto me again, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Yea, and I also knew that he had sought to take away my own life. Yea, and he would not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. And he also had taken away our property. In this situation, the Spirit began to work not just on Nephi's heart, because his heart was shrinking from the task to his own words, again, understandably. But the spirit also works with the mind. That's the key here, a really big key, actually. Nephi didn't just go with his first gut reaction, neither did the spirit. There was reason, there was something else that Nephi needed to know in order for him to be able to make the choice correctly. That was, if he didn't kill Laban, Labid would likely have killed him, and already tried previously. Then the next couple of verses go on to further explain how the Spirit spoke to Nephi's mind. Verse 12, And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me again, Slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It's better that one man should perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Now, how can killing someone be a good thing? Nephi has been taught for so long that killing was not just wrong, but a big no-no. Here it is, the choice and the Spirit giving him righteous motives to make that choice. The next part is equally as important because after the Spirit tells something to Nephi, The inspiration for Nephi continues, but Nephi then takes what the Spirit taught him now, in the present, and mixed it with what he had learned and been taught from the past. Verse 14, And now, when I, Nephi, had heard these words, I remembered the words of the Lord, which he spake unto me in the wilderness, saying that, Inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise." yea, and I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. And I also knew that the law was engraven upon the plates of brass, and again I knew that the Lord had delivered Laban into my hands for this cause, that I might obtain the records according to His commandments. Now, some might argue that this is Nephi rationalizing. however, Rationalizing tends to take place when we first decide that we want to do something and then we find a way to justify it. Nephi didn't want to do this. He had to be constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit and angels had to come and give him additional reason and strength to move forward. This story shows the wrestle that even the greatest of the prophets had to go through we find in the scriptures that they that other prophets encountered this in their lives prophets have to make tough decisions all the time decisions that don't seem to fit with secular understanding or preconceived understandings of even the scriptures that we hear so so I, these arguments that we often hear in the media and from people that we're around at school and work, that just confuses that message even more and makes it that much harder. But in our own lives, we have been given commandments, standards, tasks to work towards, and the Lord will provide a way for each of us to accomplish them. In some of those cases, the way that the Lord will accomplish those things is with our help and with our best efforts. But like Nephi, We will be inspired. We will know what we're supposed to do as we trust in the Lord. Additionally, we might find that the Spirit will guide us using a mix of new information, scriptural information, and the teachings of the prophets, but we'll also be asked to use our own minds in coming to a decision. This is how agency works. God doesn't want puppets. He wants prophets. He wants us to learn and come to make choices based on revelation. And those choices become our tutor as much as the Spirit does. Now, Nephi goes on to finish. Therefore, I did obey the voice of the Spirit and took Laban by the hair of the head, and I smote off his head with his own sword." I want to play a quote from Jeffrey R. Holland from back when he was president of BYU. He talked about obedience, the importance of following the will of the Father in all things, and he talked about it using the challenges that we face in in our daily lives, using this story from 1 Nephi 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4. Now, I wanted to give this story from 1 Nephi more understanding before we bring it back to our original premise with the whole coffee thing. I promise it will work and it'll make sense. But remember, we are using this story as an example of how you can apply the scriptures in your own life with your own challenges, and especially those challenges where there seems to be so much opposition.
2: Obedience is the first law of heaven. And in case you haven't noticed, some of these commandments are not easy and we frequently may seem to be in for much more than we bargained for. At least if we're truly serious about becoming a saint, I think we will find that this is indeed the case. Now, let me use an example from what is often considered by many—our foes and sometimes our friends—as one of the most unsavory moments in the entire Book of Mormon. I choose it precisely because there is so much in it that has given offense to many. It's a pretty bitter cup all the way around. I speak of Nephi's obligation to slay Laban in order to preserve a record, save a people, and ultimately lead to the restoration of the gospel in the dispensation of the fullness of times. How much is hanging in the balance as Nephi stands over the drunken and adversarial Laban, I cannot say, but it is a very great deal indeed. The only problem is that we know this, but Nephi doesn't. And regardless of how much is at stake, how can he do this thing? He's a good person, perhaps even a well-educated person. He's been taught from the summit of Sinai, thou shalt not kill, and he has made gospel covenants. I was constrained by the Spirit that I should kill Laban, but I shrunk and would that I might not slay him. We don't know why those plates could not have been obtained some other way, perhaps accidentally left at the plate polishers one night or falling out of the back of Laban's chariot on a Sabbath afternoon drive. I don't know why it couldn't have happened that way. For that matter, why didn't Nephi just leave the story out of the book altogether? Why didn't he say something like, And after much effort and anguish of spirit, I did a to obtain the plates of Laban and did depart into the wilderness under the tent of my father and have it over with. At the very least, he might have buried the account somewhere in the Isaiah chapters, (laughs) thus guaranteeing that they would be undiscovered to this day. But there it is, squarely in the beginning of the book, page 8, where even the most casual reader will find it and must deal with it. It is not intended that either Nephi or we be spared the struggle of this account. I believe that story was placed in the very opening verses of a 530-plus page book and then told in painfully specific detail in order to focus every reader of that record on the absolutely fundamental gospel issue of obedience and submission to the communicated will of the Lord. If Nephi cannot yield to this terribly painful command, if he cannot bring himself to obey, then it is entirely probable that he can never succeed or survive in the tasks that lie just ahead. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. I confess that I wince a little when I hear that promise quoted so casually among us. Jesus knew what it meant to say that, and now Nephi does, and so will a host of others before it is over. That vow took Christ to the cross, and it remains at the heart of every Christian covenant. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded.
1: Well, we shall see. So there we have it a pretty good digesting of 1 Nephi 3 and 4. Nephi being told to kill Laban. What did you learn? What did the Spirit tell you as we went through these relatively short passages? Remember that like Nephi, you have to be open to what the Spirit tells you, and you need to take what you are feeling and correlate that or put it together With what you already know from the scriptures and what you have heard from the prophets and apostles. So, what then of our original premise, that question of should Mormons buy coffee for someone? And is the story of Nephi killing Laban an accurate explanation or justification for someone doing so? What did the Spirit tell you? What do you know from reading the scriptures? What have the prophets taught? Well, for me, should such an opportunity arise to buy coffee for someone, my first reaction was to say no. But that it would be best if I made that clear before going out and ordering the food, and certainly not when the check came and said, "Oh, by the way, yeah, I said I was going to buy you breakfast, but not that part." So uh, I I actually felt that the decision to not buy them coffee could also be turned into a positive if you say in advance, "Hey." I, I I want to take you out for breakfast, but I I just want you to know I don't I'm not buying coffee, and the reason I do that is because but, 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 and explain to them the word of wisdom. This becomes a missionary moment, and of course, you tell them why you don't partake in those things, and and you also to a certain extent tell them that you've made a promise to not encourage others to do the same. But the only way that this works is if it's done in a spirit of love, not boasting or condemnation. So I would also explain that while it's their choice to buy their own coffee, it's my choice to not encourage its purchase or consumption and that you hope that they can respect that. Now, me personally, I wouldn't ask a Hindu person to buy me a beef steak. It's against their religion. I wouldn't ask a Jewish person to buy me some food that wasn't kosher. I wouldn't ask someone who isn't politically or socially aligned with the outward expressions or messages of a particular company or, or organization to support those organizations so that I could have a free meal. So why then would the person I take out to breakfast or dinner want me to buy them coffee against my principles in religion? So after thinking that, though, I wanted to confirm that what I was feeling had some Holy Spirit witness to it. So, I tried to address that answer with what may have been taught on the subject from modern-day prophets and apostles. When I listen to General Conference, and I've listened to a few, or when I read the church magazines or other books, I don't ever recall reading a passage where a prophet or apostle endorsed buying coffee for a coworker as a way of being a good Latter-day Saint. I've never heard someone say that being a Christian means buying things for people, let alone something that's not in line with church teachings on the Word of Wisdom. But I have heard President Monson say this in the October 2011 General Conference. As we go about
0: living from day to day, it's almost inevitable that our faith will be challenged. We may at times find ourselves surrounded by others. And yet, standing in the minority, or even standing alone concerning what is acceptable and what is not. Do we have the moral courage to stand firm for our beliefs, even if, if by so doing we must stand alone? It is essential that we are able to face with
1: courage whatever challenges come our way. What then of courage to live the gospel? to rise up to the standards that we know to be true. Well, in that same talk, President Monson gave this quote. In Lehi's vision of the tree of life, found in
0: 1 Nephi chapter 8, Lehi sees, among others, those who hold to the iron rod until they come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree of life, which we know is representation of the love of God. And then sadly after they partake of the fruit. Some are ashamed because of those in the great and spacious building who represent the pride of the children of men, who are pointing fingers at them and scoffing at them, and they fall away into forbidden paths and are lost. What a powerful tool of the adversary is ridicule and mockery. Do we have the courage to stand strong and firm in the face of such
1: difficult opposition. What do you know? An, another key insight from First Nephi. So after I came to my conclusion and shared my feelings with this Facebook group, I found that I was being ridiculed, even by those who profess to be members of the church. I wondered why I would be treated that way when all I was doing was sharing my testimony of keeping the commandments, of, of finding ways to turn challenging situations into a positive missionary experience. And then I thought to Lehi's vision of the tree of life. The great and spacious building was filled with individuals who had left the iron rod. Some of them were even individuals who had partaken of the fruit of the tree of life, felt mocked for doing so, and left to join that crowd. Were these those same people, these people on Facebook, Was I having my own tree-of-life, great-and-spacious-building moment? Perhaps. But I also learned a key insight that was happening, and it happened from the very beginning of the post on the Facebook group, and I didn't even see it. The question itself wasn't based on some wanting to know right and wrong. It was to stir up conversation, stir up the hearts of men to contend with one another about an issue that can be heavily influenced by social convention that's at odds with gospel teachings. It wasn't about encouraging one to pray to find their own answer. It was about looking to others for an answer that, on, on a subject that is clearly going to cause some disagreement and discord. So in one respect, the whole question was designed to put Greece... On the iron rod. Sometimes we may find in our time on the internet and discussing issues with others that we may find ourselves not inside the walls of the city fulfilling the Lord's commandments, but outside the city wall murmuring at those who are trying to get the Lord's work done. Sometimes there are those who are simply trying to make the iron rod something slippery and hard to hang on to. Now, this story in 1 Nephi with Nephi slaying Labed, does have application in the importance of following the Spirit regardless of what we perceive as operating within the Lord's boundaries. But it's not to be used as license for doing whatever we feel like or for following social convention as some exception to the Lord's rule. What this story teaches me is that if you have been given a task where millions of eternal lives are based off the task at hand and its completion, and that you find yourselves maybe physically threatened with complete justification in the defense of your life by buying someone a cup of coffee. And the Spirit constrains you in that very moment, that that moment was prepared for you to accomplish this great task. Well, then who am I to stand in the way of such inspiration? But when Nephi was told by the Spirit that it's better that one should perish, that a whole nation dwindle in unbelief, the individual that was to perish should not be Nephi. It was Laban. The thing that was to be put down was the evil opposition, not the person who was seeking to keep the commandments. By buying coffee for an individual, that isn't likely to improve the position of another person or even thousands of others. What is more likely is the case that we will be willing to bring ourselves down in the process. So, in other words, the iron rod is the word of God. Use it to bring you and others unto Christ, unto the tree of life. Don't put something slippery on that iron rod that will make it hard for others, as well as yourself, to hold to that special guide. Also, be aware when others will seek to do the same thing to you. Listen to the Spirit, but understand that one way to help discern the Spirit is to use the Scriptures and the words of the prophets and apostles as a second and third witness of what the Lord is wanting you to do. Now, this may take some time. It takes some study and some practice. Use your parents. Use your leaders. Use your bishop. These are all sources that can help you with additional counsel on such things. But above all, when you read the scriptures, do your best to follow the Spirit of the Lord, to understand these stories, not in isolation, but in the great scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These aren't isolated principles. Nephi wasn't being told to start to find exceptions to the rule and live those and preach those. In fact, after this, it was Nephi that continued to teach about the importance of faith in God, repentance, coming unto Christ and following his commandments. It is that example that helps me to see the importance of not doing what we can to make the iron rod something hard for people to hold on to, but that our best efforts are best served in trying to help people, encourage people to hold on to that iron rod. And when there are others that are trying their best to grease up and make the iron rod slippery, to try and avoid that because it's not helping anybody. It's my belief. It's my testimony that the spirit is very real that we are encouraged to follow it, but that the Spirit is also a delivery system that will bring to our remembrance the things which have has been revealed to us previously and the work that we are to do in that moment. More often than not, the rule is the way to go. In very rare situations, there will be an exception to the rule. Nephi was never asked, to do anything like this again. It was an exception. It wasn't something that Nephi said, hey, you know what? Remember that time that I killed Laban? I wonder if this is another one of those times where I'm supposed to do something else, follow the exception to the rule. Nephi didn't do that, and we shouldn't either. His example is an example of faithfulness, of trusting in the Lord. And that's an example worth following. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rise Up. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes under the name Mormon Faircast. Questions or comments can be posted at blog.fairmormon.org in conjunction with this episode. Tune in each week for another episode of Rise Up. Thank you for listening.